is cutting through the matrix on January the 4th, 2011. Now, newcomers to the show, go into cuttingthroughthematrix.com, and on that site you'll see a whole bunch of other sites listed. These are the official sites I have. If you find sticking downloads and audios on the com site, just because so many folk go into it at the same time, try these alternate sites and you'll get a cleaner download. And remember, too, they all carry uh, audios of the talks I've given over the past, they carry transcripts in English of a lot of the talks as well. And if you want uh, transcripts in other languages, go into Alan Watt Sentient, sentinel.eu, and you'll find uh, a bunch to choose from from there. And uh, remember, too, you're the audience who bring me to you. I don't bring on the guests who sell you things and so on. So I really do depend upon you to keep me going. And I try to give you alternate stuff to show you the big picture. In fact, that's what the audios are all about, to tie the ends together for you. Because really, you don't have a long life. It doesn't matter how young you are. Your life is pretty short, and there's so much to learn. It's to find out what's been going on, uh, why you've arrived at this stage in, in, in society, why it's going through massive changes, and who's behind it, who's doing it, and even where your own thoughts come, and why your culture is the way it is. I try to go through all of that to show you the big powers, big players, and big people in academia are working with governments to make all this happen. It's a planned society, and that's what you're going through. So buy the books and the discs that you see at cuttingthroughthematrix.com, and uh, you can donate as well, remember. Most folk don't think about that much today. They expect everything to be free. And they just scout around to find the, the, the sites and so on. They're all free, and the shows as, as well on radio, they're just completely free. They don't want to part with their pennies because they've got nice video games and things to buy or whatever. And um, they let the ones go down the drain, basically, the ones who can help them because they're unable to uh, support them. They don't want to support them. That's your tough luck, I suppose. But it's also a shame a lot of people go down the drain uh, over the years and never to be heard of again who had some good information. So buy the books and so on. From the U.S. to Canada, you can use an, a personal check. You can use an international postal money order. Some people send cash to order. And remember, you can use PayPal as well. Just send the appropriate donation through PayPal, followed by an email with your name and address and order, and I'll get it out to you. And across the rest of the world, same idea. You've got Western Union for direct transfer. What's wiring? You have MoneyGram, which can wire as well. And it can go the cheaper way, which is to write you a check, which you can just post over if you can have the patience to wait a week. And a lot of folk don't anymore these days, unfortunately. PayPal again to order. Just use the donation button, followed by an email, name, address, and order, and I'll get it out to you. And But remember, two donations certainly would be welcome because it costs a lot to do what I'm doing. And it's not a job. It's not something I would have picked, actually. I just said it's time to come out and tell the folk what I know. Uh, because eventually knowledge is lost 
in time. It has to come out sometime, hopefully, and it does change people's lives when they can get all the helping clues and they're helped along with inner proper directions as to find out what on earth is this big system which we call society. Why are these big things happening? Why do financial clashes uh, come down at the, just the right time or the wrong time, you might say? Why, do, uh, why does the whole world go into an anti-terrorist mode altogether in unison because of something that happened in one city, in one country? It's all because it's all arranged that way. We're, we're going into the authoritarian society. That's what you're getting trained to go through now. And you're also being told to play like you've never played before. Throw out all the rules, kick out the jams, and enjoy yourself. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, we're back and this is Cutting Through the Matrix. You know, it's not too difficult to do your own searches and your own studies to find out that um, big players, big organizations run the world. And these organizations are above your governments and they're within your governments because they do have their so-called scientists placed on board with them, especially now. It's a fairly recent phenomenon to have all these scientists placed uh, on panels within governments who then advise presidents and prime ministers supposedly what to do. They all know it's an inside joke because they're, they're there to make sure the agenda, there's only one agenda, is carried forward. And you can find the agenda, again, going all the way back to, to very old authors who talked about depopulation and getting rid of the unfit and all of that kind of stuff in a world to come. And Thomas Malthus, of course, was one of the main characters shoved forth into history to start off the, the conversations amongst the wealthy about this and about the coming problems of shortages and sustainability and all the rest of it. This is where all this comes from. And it's no coincidence that the big foundations today that have carried on through Rockefeller and other ones are put promoting the exact same agendas. But they also give us cognitive dissonance, as they call it, because we are trained to believe that charitable foundations and people who want to help us are there to help us. And when you also read that the same people are involved in depopulation, we go into a click mode. We can't compute the two. Uh, is he here to help me or is he here to kill me? And literally, we tend to go for the better judgment, the nicer judgment, I should say. It's actually the wrong judgment, but the nicer one, the one that doesn't upset us too much because we've been trained to be sort of egocentric and we don't like to look at the bad things. Now, here's an example of this because this article here is to do with dengue fever and experiments with dengue fever, mosquito, fever mosquitoes, and it's backed by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. You know, when, as I say, when you suddenly become extremely wealthy, stinking rich, you just have a, a born-again experience, and you realize that it's your duty to depopulate the planet, and then you find others like yourselves, and who, who are already in the process of doing it, and you join the club and you put your cash towards it. Another big story behind it, because these guys are not self-made at all. They're brought up into star status by pre-existing societies, very, very wealthy ones. Now, here's an example. $18 million 
world first trial to eliminate dengue begins in Cairns. This is in Australia. And remember, I read articles not too long ago where the U.S. government had introduced dengue fever into the Florida Keys, and they get outbreaks ever since. Once in a while, you get outbreaks of dengue fever. So dengue fever is actually used as a biowarfare technique by military. So here they are going to do an experiment in Australia, and this is from today's paper. It says, scientists will know within four months whether today's release of 6,000 bacteria-infected mosquitoes is a success. It says, um, about 40 mosquitoes, this is what the claim is 40, I believe it's probably more, infected with, with Wolbachia via bacteria will be released at every fourth home at Yorkie's Knob and Gordon Vale in the next 12 weeks. The bacteria blocks mosquitoes from infecting people with the dengue fever virus. So you have to take this on faith, right? It says the $18 million world first experiment has the potential to lead a sustainable solution to dengue outbreaks in the tropics. Now, why are they spending $18 million to release 40 mosquitoes? Hmm? Do you believe this? The project is funded through the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation as well as the federal and state governments. The state government has contributed $1.95 million to the program. There are no vaccines for dengue, which kills up to 40,000 people globally a year. Eliminate Dengue Project leader and UQ researcher Scott O'Neill said the team should know by April if it was on the right track. If these trials are successful, they'll be followed by similar trials in Vietnam towards the end of 2011, Professor O'Neill said. And then he says... Um, Ethics says it might even see full implementation and control of dengue in the Cairn region in two to four years. So uh, this is what they tell you that they're doing. Meanwhile, as we all know, the big cry in academia at the top is sustainability and depopulation, big time. And we also know that the big writers who came out in the 40s, 50s, 60s, right through up to the year 2000, were all promoting rapid depopulation. In fact, the Bill and Melinda Gates bunch attended uh, the same meeting that Rockefeller was in recently, and I've read it on the air, some parts of it, where they said they've, they've had enough really of trying to sterilize the public, and basically what they want to do now is to go into rapid depopulation. Well, they've already talked about the means of rapid depopulation and bringing out of diseases is certainly in the, on the cards. So here they are pretending they want to cure it all. It doesn't make any sense. So you're back in the cognitive dissonance. Again, click mode. What do you want to believe here? So anyway, it says that the Wolbachia bacteria is not harmful to people or animals. The ones that have infected it with uh, the limited dengue research team have demonstrated this by allowing the mosquitoes to feed directly from researchers on a routine basis. But I bet you anything that those researchers have an antidote somewhere else in their bloodstream that was put there by people above them. That's how it really works. And then you get into eugenics and modern times and so on. And you're going to understand it's truly, truly with you in a big, big way. And the articles I'm going to read, I'm going to put up tonight on my site, cuttingthroughthematrix.com, put the links up for you to look up for yourself. Well worth keeping a hold of too. Download them because things disappear so rapidly now from the Internet. And this says here... Um, they mentioned the people who are involved in eugenics, the political left as well as the, as the political right in modern times. 
and says, Note the stunning statements below by people like Bertrand Russell and George Bernard Shaw, or those by Margaret Sanger, the founder of Planned Parenthood. Planned Parenthood is simply abortion across the world. And was recently, they've got an incredible budget now, and uh, they're going to cross the world in a big time to sterilize and, and abort children, because she's the one who called them weeds, you see. If they don't have a function in society, if they're from the lower strata, they're called weeds for the women and feminists who didn't know who the great hero happened to be. A great lover of Hitler and Stalin too, by the way. But um, Malthus again. Malthus is the guy who first came out with uh, the writings on could the earth sustain a certain population. He was wrong in all accounts, of course. In fact, about 50 years after he finished his book, uh, he predicted we'd be standing about five deep on top of each other, and that didn't happen either. But he also called for the elimination of the poor, and he was all in favor of advocating poor houses and sort of housing complexes in the most disgusting and disease-ridden areas where the people would die off much faster. So it's quite interesting to read the letters between himself and others, and then, of course, those who came after him in the same, I call them the same societies because they all belong to the same societies. And by the way, these characters were all specially bred themselves. They were inbred, just like the Darwin family. This movement's been on the go for an awful, awful long time, right? Even all the way back to Plato, and before him, I'm sure. But um, it says here, Charles Darwin agrees with Francis Galton's eugenic ideas. Now, the Galton family eventually bred into the Darwin family as well. Up until then, the Darwins had only uh, inbred with uh, the Wedgwood family for generations. But he agrees with them. You'll see that in the first letter there. He agrees. This is the personal letters between the two of them uh, with their eugenics ideas and so on and depopulation. And then uh, Charles Darwin, um, in The Descent of Man and Selection in Relation to Sex, in his second edition, says this. He says, With savages, the weakened body or mind are soon eliminated, and those that survive commonly exhibit a vigorous state of health. In other words, disease and the whole bit is good. Those who survive are the healthiest. We civilized men, on the other hand, do our utmost to check the process of elimination. We build asylums for the imbeciles, the maimed, and the sick. We institute poor laws, and our medical men exert the most utmost skill to save the life of everyone to the last moment. There is reason to believe that vaccination has preserved thousands who, from a weak constitution, would formerly have succumbed to smallpox. Thus the weak members of civilized societies propagate their kind. No one who has attended to the breeding of domestic animals will doubt that this must be highly injurious to the race of man. It's hardly surprising how soon a want of care or care wrongly directed leads to the degeneration of a domestic race. But excepting in the case of man himself, hardly anyone is so ignorant of, uh, as to allow his worst animals to breed. He says, The aid which we feel impelled to give to the helpless is mainly an incidental result of the instinct of sympathy, which was originally acquired as part of the instincts, but subsequently rendered, in the manner previously indicated, more tender and more widely diffused. Nor could we check our sympathy, even at the urging of hard reason, without deterioration in the noblest part of our nature. The surgeon may hard himself while performing an operation, 
for he knows that he is acting for the good of his patient. But if we were intentionally to neglect the weak and helpless, it could only be for a contingent benefit with an overwhelming present evil. We must therefore bear the undoubtedly bad effects of the weak surviving and propagating their kind. But there appears to be at least one check in steady action, namely that the weaker and inferior members of society do not marry so freely as is sound, and this check might be indefinitely increased by the weakened body or mind refraining from marriage. By the way, that was part of the plans that they discussed a long time ago at the Department of Population, Street Population Control at United Nations, when they talked about fast takedowns in some countries by introducing disease. Well, bingo, you have a specific type of AIDS in Africa, very fast takedown. In the West, they decided that disabling diseases that would make them ineligible ineligible for marriage would be used at your crippling diseases and chronic fatigue. Back with more after this. Hi folks, we're back and we're cutting through the matrix, just reading some some quotes that uh, the big boys put out in the past. Remember that Darwinism and the whole idea of um, natural selection and the betterment of the race, as I like to call it, is part of academia. It's all to do with evolution. You must believe in evolution if you go into the universities in this day and age. It's, it's a must be. You've got to believe in it. And along with all of that comes all of this as well that I've just been reading here, because this is what's all based upon survival of the proper kind of humanity and not the lesser kind, you see. And they want to get rid of the weak, disabled, and so on. And that's what the, that's what the whole ecological movement is based upon. Uh, sustainability, etc., is a cover for this particular program, which uh, has been so well documented by themselves and is taught in academia, of course, and um, is kept out of the general mainstream, at least in its more hardened, straightforward form. Uh, this is also what uh, Charles Darwin says here. Elimination of the poorly endowed in advanced society, great lawgivers and founders of beneficent religions, great philosophers and discoverers in science aid the progress of mankind in a far higher degree by their works than by leaving a numerous progeny. In the case of corporeal structures, it is the selection of the slightly better endowed and the elimination of the slightly less well-endowed individuals and not the preservation of strongly marked and rare anomalies that leads to the advancement of a species. So it will be with the intellectual facilities, since the somewhat abler men in each grade of society succeed rather better than the less able and consequently increase in number, if not otherwise prevented. When in any nation the standard of intellect and the number of intellectual men have increased, we may expect from the law of the deviation from an average that prodigies of genius will, as shown by Mr. Galton, appear somewhat more frequently than before. Uh, You're going to understand, too, this is where the whole idea came from for books, novels like The Handmaid's Tale and so on. When they talk about um, actually... Uh, special breeding, selecting special women for breeding. And by the way, they'd already been doing it back in the 1700s. And Benjamin Franklin kind of touched on that in one of his letters, since he was a member of one of those clubs. But um, it's quite a very, it's a very good site. Margaret Sanger, all her 
cases are written in it, all her quotes and so on. And um, this is one of her quotes from Sanger for the, for the feminists out there. Every single case of inherited defect, every malformed child, every congenitally tainted human being brought into this world is of infinite importance to that poor individual, but is of scarcely less importance to the rest of us and to all our children who must pay in one way or another for these biological and racial mistakes. And um, Sanger also praised eugenics. Degeneration has already begun. Eugenicists demonstrate that two-thirds of our manhood of military age are physically too unfit to shoulder a rifle, that the feeble-minded, the syphilitic, the irresponsible, and the defective breed unhindered, and the vicious cycle of mental and physical defect. Delinquency and beggary is encouraged by the unseeing and unthinking sentimentality of our age to populate asylums, hospital and prison, all these things that the Genesis sees and points out with a courage entirely admirable. So she was completely, completely um, all for it. She was also for sterilization uh, of what she called the feeble-minded. And the U.S. tends to forget that the Rockefeller boys and Cold Spring Harbor um, uh, went into uh, sterilization right up into the 1970s in the United States by simple court orders and many people are suing now because uh, they were sterilized by these court orders and uh, classified as, as retarded, defective, simply not good enough to have progeny. And they also talk about birth control uh, eventually being made mandatory, etc. But of course for that what they did was bring in people like Bernays who thought of other ways to do it. If you can't get what you want with society, what you do is you change society, and then they'll accept what you want. You make them think it's all for themselves, and they went to work creating the pill, and then saying, go ahead and have fun. Exactly what Julian Huxley also talks about. He says they'll be able to basically have as much sex as they want, as long as they don't actually breed. That was only stipulation, and that's what you've got today, the outcome of a big, big war going on that most folk are utterly ignorant of, and a lot of them are quite enjoying it at the moment as well. But in the book, The Next Million Years, a descendant of Galton uh, and uh, the Darwins is Charles Galton Darwin, and he was a physicist. He worked on the Manhattan Project because all these families are into mass killing, and he was all for the atom bomb. He worked on the bomb project, and he wrote a book too in the 1950s called The Next Million Years. But in the book, I noticed too, as I was perusing it again for the umpteenth time there, a little quote, and he said that um, eventually, eventually, um, he was talking about aging, uh, creating life extension for those who are the, have the best brains, the better breeding. And so they'd be relatively old and obviously wouldn't get partners. So he mentioned the fact that it would be, they would bring it in a form of pedophilia and they'd make pedophilia normal so that the wealthy rich could still breed and pass on their genes. Interesting, isn't it? That that's all over the media today as they push what they call intergenerational sex. And it's all in a whole bunch of Hollywood movies too. That's where you get most of your indoctrination. He then goes on to talk about in his book, um, Charles Galton Darwin, about how they, they breed racehorses. And he talks about how they slaughter the ones that finish last, etc. Then advises them to they should really do the same thing with, well, humans, you know. Back with more after this.
listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, this is Alan Watts and we're cutting through the Matrix. Now, there's a caller been hanging on the line, so I'll take him as Dave from Iowa. Are you there, Dave? Oh, yes, thank you. I was just wondering, with your accent, it sounds, I was just wondering, would you be English or is it from England or Ireland or? What's that got to do with the topic here? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, I should ask. Doesn't exactly have anything necessarily directly to do with the topic, but I was just sort of wondering, um, just as a way of because I do listen to your show uh, quite often, and I guess I just uh, would be curious to know um, about that. Well, it's, it's from Scotland, but what has that to do with anything? Okay, and have you been, are you still in Scotland, or are you, are you broadcasting from the United States now? And I was wondering, how would you compare uh, what's going on in the U.S. to what's going on in Scotland right now? And what manner, though? What, what area? Um, well, let's say, for example, um, when you talk, when you're talking about kind of the social engineering that we're that you're talking about happening, I assume that you're mostly focusing on the United States. Uh, are you seeing the same sort of thing going on? Uh, do you do you see any difference between what's going on here in the United States, for example? Okay, the the, the difference is, and here's the key is that the UK is way ahead, uh, by a few years actually, only a few years, uh, in this whole agenda to, to decentralize government, they're calling it, bring in communitarianism, and this is exactly what these eugenicists, uh, if you even read their books, will tell you that we're going to bring in, in the 1950s, eventually they're bringing a form of local government where you, the people, will have to decide who must live or die according to the food supply, etc., and the medical care available uh, and the budget that you're, you're given for doing so. Uh, they've just introduced that into Britain. That's coming fast. And uh, the U.S., uh, under its new schemes coming in, even for health care, I've gone through this stuff. It's from the RAND Corporation. Uh, that's where the government employed to do the studies for the new American health care. And literally, it's pretty well. They actually said in the, in the RAND report they've based it on the British national health system, which is an utter disaster. I mean, you're, you're, it's like Canada, you're liable to wait for uh, a, an operation. By the time you actually get in, you're long dead. Uh, this is how it really is in reality. So it's a rationing of health care that's coming in, a rationing of many different things that's coming in. And the states uh, now definitely, uh, because of the crash, etc., they're using that as well. Uh, and, and their massive debt that they have uh, is going to rampage ahead much faster, I think, in the U.S. And there will be riots and stuff, and that's why they've been preparing for 20-odd years and building up internal armies and so on to deal with it. Uh, they are going to bring in, eventually, food rationing, and that's come from the United Nations. That's on the Council on Foreign Relations website as well. They've been working for 20 years on the coming uh, food rationing and the coming food shortage, so it's not going to be pleasant. 
this is a world agenda, you understand, and uh, there's no country. In fact, this this particular book, um, The Next Million Years by Charles Galton Darwin, the guy who worked on the atom bomb, he said they'd have to make international agreements through the United Nations so that every country is on board with the same depopulation agenda, with the same tactics and so on, so that no country would opt out and become uh, more powerful than another country. So this was all arranged through many, many, many meetings. Um, but the U.S. certainly hasn't seen the full impact of it yet. However, I, I have a lot of people in the States who are, are, travel a lot and um, city to city, and they're going through cities now where the stores are boarded up, uh, out of business. Uh, there's fewer cars on the road because no one's got the cash to shop. And this is this is really expanding uh, quite quite uh, quite a bit at this present time. So they haven't seen the full effects of it yet. But this year, when they introduced all the austerity policies in the, in the U.S. and new taxes, etc., uh, you're going to see it get much much worse. So. Yeah, it's, they're not really far ahead of you in Britain. It's just that the British are so uh, lethargic with so many years of being dictated to. That's how government works in Britain. They dictate downwards, and um, they're lethargic with, with uh, years and years of unemployment and so on, uh, that uh, they just accept it. And um, in the States, there'll be a bit more resistance to it, but it's on the cards regardless of whether they want it or not. When you say Britain, do you include Scotland in that? Oh yes, Scotland. Scotland is a. Uh, uh, it's got a terrible country. It's got a quasi-independent relationship for the last two or three years, but it's a joke. Uh, it's not independent at all from England, and um, it's been run by England for hundreds of years. Actually, I should say, run by London. London runs everything. And you can't blame England or English people for it. It's, it's London itself that runs the whole kit and caboodle. Yeah. Do you happen to be familiar with the hedge fund uh, manager Hugh Hendry? He's a Scottish fellow. I will. Not him in particular, but I know uh, that there's quite a few of them. And some of them came out of Scotland. In fact, it was a Scots guy that was sent down to even start up the Bank of England, you know. Yeah. Okay, well, thank you so much for answering my questions. Yeah, thanks for calling. But, uh, but as I say, that's the, the key to it. Uh, we're simply going through an agenda, and most folk will never accept it. Those who are totally under uh, the technique which Bernays talked about, if you can't change or, or get the people to accept what we want them to do head on. Naturally, we'd say, no, I'm not going along with that. No way. They simply do it in such a way that you don't even know you're under attack. You're, you're, you're going to change your opinions, change your behavior, and adapt into the culture that's, that's evolving all around you, all by the same technique at the same time. So you think it's all quite normal. Uh, what they've called them in the past is revolutions, sexual revolutions, uh, this revolution, that revolution. But in reality, it was all planned for you. And everyone had a good time doing it, so they thought. But that's the key to it. Uh, sciences, and, and they talked about bringing the sciences big time, Bernays, uh, on the general public. And academia is well on board with it, with the massive grants from not only foundations, but from government itself to work on techniques to manipulate the minds of the general populace using all the techniques available. And there's so many techniques available today. But... Um, Here's another part from Charles Galton's book, 
uh, Charles Galton Darwin's book, you see, the, the physicist. And he says on page uh, 183, he says, it is the, in the biological sciences that the most exciting possibilities suggest themselves, perhaps because biology has only recently shown rapid advances like those made earlier in the inorganic sciences. I will only speculate on a few amongst these possibilities which might have great effects on human life. I've already referred to the possibility of quite new sources of food, and I need not enlarge on that further. Another type of discovery may be connected with hormones. Now, I've talked ad nauseum about the effects of the bisphenols and the phthalates and so on that are in the food supply and baby food as well, and etc., 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 and and how it's sterilizing, especially the male. He says, um, so hormones, those internal chemical secretions which so largely regulate the operations of the human body, the artificial use of hormones has already been shown to have profound effects on the behavior of animals, And it seems quite possible that hormones or perhaps drugs might have similar effects on man. For example, there might be a drug which, without other harmful effects, removes the urgency of sexual desire. You know, there's young guys, and the study's been done on it, they're losing their interest in in sexual behavior uh, before they're 25 now. And so is their sperm count that's plummeting too. And and so reproduced uh, in humanity the status of workers in a beehive. So he wants to reproduce the, the humanity, in humanity, the status of workers in a beehive. Or there might be another drug that produced a permanent state of contentment in the recipient. After all, alcohol does something like this already, although it's other disadvantages and is only temporary in its effect. A dictator would certainly welcome the compulsive administration of the contentment drug to his subjects. Look at all the children that are doped up. By, and, and we've all accepted this now as normal. With, with fake um, fake uh, diagnoses that just are written into a book as though it's a fact, like the, the laws of Moses. Another possible, although remoter discovery, suggests the more curious consequences. This is the control of the relative numbers of the two sexes. It's known that the sex of a child is carried by the sperm, not the ovum, and it is at least imaginable that some method could be found for sorting out those of the sperm cells which carry the male or the female character. It would thus become possible to regulate how many men or women there should be in a population. Well, that's uh, China was into that. They wanted more males, and they used old-time um, um, techniques because that was part of the cultural tradition already in China. They simply promoted it because they wanted lots of male workers and soldiers. It says, if such a practice could be developed, it's sure that for a time there would be a greater imbalance in populations. A nation with ambitions for conquest would produce a large number of men for its soldiers, but would pay for it by not having enough women to give birth to the soldiers for succeeding generations. On the other hand, just as a stock breeder keeps few bulls and many cows, another notion might decide that that it needed few men in order to maintain its numbers. Would such a predominantly female population be able to stand up against the male one, or would a rape of the Sabin woman rectify the disproportions? So then he goes on and on and on. And he says, to produce effects of this kind, there must be a master, and the master must be above and not subject to the procedure he's enforcing on his subjects. The dictator could not afford himself to take the contentment drug, because if he did so, his capacity for rule would certainly degenerate. It always comes back to the same point, that to carry out any policy systematically in such a way as permanently to influence the human race, there would have to be a master breed of humanity, 
not itself exposed to the conditions it is inducing, meaning forcing, in the rest. Now, remember, this, this guy was related to the Huxleys. He was related to the Darwin family, the Galton family, all eugenicists, all through every generation of them eugenicists. And uh, he was telling you they already existed because they were all offspring of special selection, special selection, where they chose uh, certain partners or they were chosen for them. As I say, with the Darwins cited his family for generations, they'd only intermarried with the Wedgwood family. And when Charles Darwin's uh, wife died, he married his mother's sister. They were already a master breed, you see, as far as they're concerned. They're not the only ones. You'll find this in the same uh, philanthropic leaders as today, at the top, the top members, if you wonder what's really running the world. And it says the master breed would have to be wild animals, you see, not subject to having their brains tampered with the contentment, drugs, or anything else, or injected with poisons to kill off brain cells. And this is what I'm saying here, because they've done this to the humans. Um, it says the master breed being wild animals would be subject to all the fashions, tastes, and passions of humanity as we know it, and so would never have the constancy to establish for generation after generation a consistent policy which would materially alter the nature of mankind. In connection with the recent wonderful advances in medical science, this is the place to mention a matter that will soon be very, uh, indeed, of immediate importance. Since in the normal condition of the world, there will be a margin of every population on the verge of starvation, it seems likely that there will have to be a revision of the doctrine of the sanctity of the individual human life. Exactly the same thing as the first CEO of UNESCO, the United Nations, wonderful organization, said, and that was, that was his, this guy's cousin, by the way, Julian Huxley, that have to be a revision of the doctrine of the sanctity of the individual human life. And by the way, as I say, when you see corpses plasticized and hung up in bar rooms and, and art galleries, you're getting taught, you're being taught to be dehumanized, that life is really truly worthless, it's just another animal, and so what? if they hang it up there for everyone to have a peek at and a laugh at at the same time. You're laughing at your own future there, folks, because that's where you'll end up too. So, you know, he also goes into world government, Charles Galton Darwin, and how they'd have to do it through um, agreements, international agreements. And he belonged to United Nations organizations, lots of them. He belonged to the top think tanks who planned this kind of stuff. And remember, too, he talks about the people as being children. You can't tell the children the truth. Are you getting what I'm saying? But he says, too, consider next what are likely to be unusual relations between the provinces. He calls provinces or regions of the world that this has been broken into, especially in North America. He says, in this case, North America might fall into four or five provinces, as the regions, and Western Europe into one or two it is never to be expected that there will be any permanence about the numbers of them or about their boundaries. Consider next what are likely to be usual relations between the provinces. It's too much to expect that there can ever be a permanent role government benevolently treating all of them on a perfect equality. Such an institution can only work during the rare occasions of worldwide golden age. He's talking about massive food consumption and distribution and all the rest of it. So... As I say, that's what these characters are into. Your future was planned before you were born, 
and everything that you think is normal in culture actually was get, were given to you by these kind of characters and think tanks and then marketed into your brain uh, through uh, your televisions, movies, and so on. And, so, and novelists too. They hired lots of novelists to, to get the, the ideas across into your into your minds. He also goes through famines, using famines, which would be man-made famines. They bring on disasters and all these wonderful ways to depopulate the world. And then he goes on to, if you wonder where the United Nations got the idea that China is the model type for the world to follow, he says on page 198, remember this was written in the 50s, it says, it would seem that in its constancy and character, both in its virtues and its defects, the Chinese civilization is to be accepted as the model type of a civilization to a greater degree than any of the other civilizations in the world. Because, you see, they have their one child per family and they have mass abortions and a government is an authoritarian government that doesn't stand any rebellion, nonsense or anything else. And they accept their famines quite naturally and die off like dutiful little citizens when it happens. But he says here too on page three, uh, 203, is it possible that there should arise a eugenic creed which perhaps working through what I've called the method of unconscious selection should concern itself with the improvement of the inherent nature of man instead of resting content with merely giving him good but impermanent acquired characters. Without such a creed, a man's nature will only be changed through the blind operation of natural selection uh, with it, he might aspire to do something towards really changing his destiny. So again, he praises China as a type that we should all follow. And that's what the United Nations does push. Back with more after this. Folks, I'm back and we're cutting through the matrix, just finishing off here on a little ramble. And there wasn't really arranged that way, I didn't arrange it at all. I just decided to go into this tonight when I get on the air. But here's also a little part from H.G. Wells, that wonderful guy who belonged to the Fabian Society, which is still of paramount importance today. It was set up and founded by and funded by um, wealthy, wealthy families, the Astor family being one of them. And uh, they they knew they could not uh, fail, actually. And when you read that from Wells' writings, it says they knew they couldn't fail by using sciences, especially the sciences of the mind upon the general public. And unfortunately, he's been pretty well correct. But he goes on to talk about um, the men of the new republic. It's not about a world republic, by the way. will route out and, and illuminate urban rookeries and all places where the base can drift to multiply uh, they will contrive a land legislation that will keep the black or yellow or mean white squatter on the move so that childbearing shall cease to be a hopeful speculation for the unemployed poor. This thing, this euthanasia of the weak, euthanasia of the weak and sensual as possible on the principles that will probably animate the predominant classes of the new time. It will be permissible and I have little or no doubt that in the future it will be planned and achieved. And it reminds me of the tent cities that they've got in the States now and uh, the folk are kept uh, move, getting moved on and moved on and moved on 
And of course, um, when you're starving to death, you're not too worried about, you're not really thinking about um, sex and so on so much. You're trying to simply to survive. Uh, but uh, I'll put this link up tonight to this very good site with a lot of their quotes and parts from their books in it as well. But people should get the next million years. The other one I was reading from uh, by Charles Galton Darwin. I mean, this guy literally was specially bred for his purpose in life, as were the rest of the Darwin family. And um, he doesn't pull punches at times. You'll see some incredible things that sound rather nice until you really realize, because the terminology he's using, until you realize what he's actually advocating is, is quite blunt at other times too. But uh, if you wonder why the populations are plummeting in the West and the sperm count is, is going down to less than 25% of what it should be, even that is a motile, I mean, the sperm can't find the ovum, they've all been severely damaged, then you understand it's not by nothing happens on a mass scale in society without something being made to make it happen. Nothing happens. You don't suddenly evolve into sterile creatures. It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen at all. But they also talked about using hormonal treatments on women. They'd be unaware of it because, again, it would be in their foods as well and so on and how it would affect them. And believe you me, they knew damn well that the cancer rates and so on would increase because that's all part of the big, big plan. That's truly, folks, the world we live in. I don't want to give you nicey-nicey uh, little shows here. I don't want to scare the living daylight outside of you. I'm trying to get you informed and so that you understand what's actually happening today. How much money has the Cancer Society brought in over the last, what, 80-odd years, and how, where's the advances in treating cancer? Tell me that. There haven't been any slash and burn. Slash and burn. Same things. And who started that? That was the Rockefeller Foundation, who gave you your present medical treatment, because they have no intention of giving a cure for the diseases they cause. From Hamish myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night. I mean, your God or your gods go with you.